Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. Today, we are jamming with John, aka the Pitch Whisperer, which I can't wait. He's such a great human, doing <laughs> awesome work in this world, and we're going to have a blast. John, welcome. Thanks, Mark. Wonderful to be with you. The Pitch Whisperer. Can't wait to get into that. Before we get into your work, um, everything you've done, the backstory and all of that, I just like to start real fresh, real clean with a very simple question like, who are you? <laughs> um, gosh, that reminds me of the song from Chorus Line, Who Am I Anyway? Am I My Resume? One of my favorite lyrics to a Broadway yes. show tune. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that I am at heart a storyteller whose purpose is to help many people find their stories, not only so they can connect pe with people, but so they can get off the self-esteem roller coaster of only mm. feeling good about themselves if things are going great and bad if they're not. Okay. When did you first realize that storytelling or like the work that you're doing right now, because I know you come from a, 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 you know, a long career in, in media and advertising, specifically the magazine world and so forth. Yes. Like, and there's a link clearly, but do you remember when like for you, it, it the, the flip switch or the, yeah, the switch flip mm -hmm. and you're like, storytelling's my thing. Yes. Before getting into advertising media sales, I worked at a small creative advertising boutique in LA and our agency would get hired after I pitched the studios to hire us um, to do TV commercials coming out on home video back in the day when Blockbuster oh, wow. was everywhere. And I would show our you know, sizzle reel of other commercials that we had done for other movies on home video and convince them that we could do one for them. And it was such a small industry that they didn't have a competitive clause, like if you're working for Warner Brothers, you can't work for Disney, that kind of thing, which is sure. the norm in most advertising. But in this space, each title was so unique that the studios didn't really think of it as competition. And nobody was really buying a Warner Brothers video. They were buying Lethal Weapon or what Outrageous Fortune from Disney. So that allowed me to call in all the studios. And we could take a movie that had not done well theatrically and reposition it and tell a different story to get people to want to go rent or eventually buy it. And that mm. was my big aha moment of, here's the same story just told in a different way in a 30-second commercial that completely makes it seem funny when it didn't seem funny or we play up the romance or dial it down or whatever. All the options were there. That's really where I honed my storytelling skills. Fascinating. And then you never looked back, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> and then so when then I what, was in this world of advertising sales, yeah. Lexus, for example, would say, look, we looked at uh, 20 magazines. We've narrowed it down to 10 and we're going to pick three. And you each get to come in and pitch back to back to back media day, 30 minutes each. Do not talk about numbers. And half of the reps were a deer in headlights. What? I can't talk about the circulation or the income of my readers. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. And I went, oh, whoever tells the best story of the marketing idea or why this audience is the perfect uh, psychographics for this launch yeah. is the one that's going to get the story and the sale. So that's really the big connection of, oh, it's storytelling gets you the sale, not data. 
Yeah. So how did you, in those situations, how did you prepare mentally and, mm -hmm. you know, from a, from a story perspective as well? Well, I knew that even though I had 30 minutes, I really only had 90 seconds at the top of the half hour to grab their attention sure. because they were, you know, imagine being them and having to hear 10 pitches. Um, they, they zone out unless you say something really compelling or fascinating. And I thought if I'm telling a story, it's not a story about how great I am or the magazine is, but instead making the agency look like a hero to their client by taking this idea to them. And okay. so that alone made them sit up and go, oh, he's thinking about how we're going to look good with this cool idea that the magazines come up with. And they really wanted it to be unique to the magazine's DNA. For example, one of their favorites was Sports Illustrated took the shape of the swimsuit model on the cover and turned that into a matching the shape of the, of the runway of the race car that the, the uh, car would be racing on basically the outline of a swimsuit model. And so yeah. that's unique to Sports Illustrated because they had their famous swimsuit issue every year. So the ideas had to be unique and custom. And then I just came up with my own little checklist that every great pitch or every great story is clear, concise, and compelling. And so okay. we can, if we unpack those three things, why does it have to be clear? Because the minute you confuse people, they're not going to say they're confused. They're just going to say no. Mm, and well said. <laughs> All right. And with acronyms or something. Um, and then why does it have to be concise? Well, here's the secret for the meeting after the meeting. So they hear you pitch against your competitors. Then they have the meeting after the meeting and they go, well, what do you think? Well, they all sound the same. I guess we should go with the cheapest. But if you've told a story that makes you memorable, that they can repeat it because it's not that long of a story, then they become your brand ambassador inside to go, well, I really think we should go with this. And then finally, compelling is the whole concept and the awareness that people buy emotionally and then back it up with logic. And yeah. if you've told a story that tugs at heartstrings, then they're willing to open the purse strings. Okay. All right. So you have to, I mean, I'm sure you have a million examples, but you've got to share, you know, one that just is forever, your own stories burned into your, your mind of a pitch that, and I, I'd love to hear both of, you know, one that, that went really well and one where you left, you're like, dear God, I hope that never happens again. If you've yeah. had one of those, maybe you have it. Oh, please. Yes. Many times. <laughs> um, my favorite story of it working is helping a client. Um, they came to me and they said, you know, we have this equipment. It makes surgeries go 30% faster. We're, we don't understand why doctors aren't taking it. It's so logical. And I said, well, that's the first problem. It's logical. There has to be an emotional <laughs> yeah. hook here. And so I asked them some questions. And now instead of pushing out, this makes your surgeries go 30% faster, they tell this case story that I taught them, which is, imagine how happy Dr. Higgins was down at Long Beach Memorial when he could go out to the patient's family an hour earlier than expected. And if you've mm -hmm. ever waited for someone you love to come out of surgery, you know every minute feels like an hour. And the doctor put them out of their waiting misery and said, good news, the scope shows they don't have cancer, they're going to be fine. And then turned to the rep and said, you know, that's why I became a doctor for moments like this. Now that rep tells that little case story to another doctor at another hospital. And here's the secret, Mark. The story is designed to get the other doctors to see themselves in it. 
And the doctors usually say, you know, that's why I became a doctor. I want your equipment too. So the client yes. said to me, oh, that gives us chills. Not only are we not telling a story, it never occurred to us to make a patient's family a character in the story. Okay. So all of the elements that I teach when I give a talk or a workshop or it's in my book are in that how to tell a story that with those four steps that are in there. So we can certainly get into that. But you also yeah. wanted an example of a story that didn't go well. Yes. Um, so when I was... Um, selling advertising, I was calling on Nordstrom's yeah. and the publisher was flying in from New York and I was flying in from LA and I confirmed everything Friday afternoon and we were scheduled for 9 a.m. Monday. And the person comes out and goes, oh, I'm so sorry, the VP you were scheduled to see had an emergency come up. They can't see you. You're going to see a junior rep. Well, my publisher was livid. I flew all the way from New York and we're not seeing the top decision maker. Why didn't you confirm this? And you're just like, well, I did. Did you not hear yeah. what they <laughs> what said? What was just said? <laughs> yeah. So if you've ever had a boss, and I've had great bosses, but I've also had, you know, my share of not so great. That's an example of one. Yeah. You're you're at blame for this. And then they put us in what I call the world's smallest conference room, as if Meeting with the junior person wasn't insulting enough. There were no windows. <laughs> and you scoot the chair out from the table, you hit the wall. Yeah, yeah. And um, he's like, just go through this so fast. It doesn't matter. This person doesn't have any power, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going through the stuff. And there was so much, the room was so tiny, you could barely read what was on the slide. The res, it was hard to pull it into focus. And um, there was one slide that had another quote from another retailer on there. And I never memorized it because I could always read it, but I couldn't this time. So I said, oh, we got a great quote from Saks Fifth Avenue. And I clicked onto the next slide and he goes, go back and read it. I'm like, oh my God. You know, <laughs> it keeps getting that. better. <laughs> you know, and I just sweat starts pouring down my forehead. I'm like, I'm going to get fired. Not only am I not going to get this account, but I'm, he's going to fire me. So it just got, went downhill from there. And he was, you know, quite livid. So not every pitch, presentation, story goes well. Sometimes a lot of things are out of your control and yeah. you just have to go, all right, next. Yeah. Well, that was going to be my next question. I mean, and the reason why I asked for that story, it's not to, to try to relive, bring up trauma for you. I'm <laughs> sorry, John. Right after this, so I'm good. Yeah. Exactly. I've been but triggered I, I, by Mark Champagne. <laughs> That's it. All speaking gigs canceled for the next month. Um, I, I, you know, I, I was just curious to, to know, obviously that was emotional for you and, you know, it seems like not warranted as well, but what, like mentally, you know, did you, did you have any practices at that time that you could uh, lean on? Like, how did you reset to just, all right, that was right. a thing of the past. Well, one of my favorite lines from the Netflix series, The Crown, is mm -hmm. when uh, the queen's husband is they're still young and he's been fooling around on her and she's confronting him about it. And uh, he said, there's no one who has got your back more than I do and loves you more than I do and blah, 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 blah. And she only, she says two words, which are my favorite phrase ever. If only. Huh. Which when you asked me, did you have any practices back then? And my response, my first response is if only. If only. <laughs> I had the practice that I have now that I could have given my younger self. So, Sure. This is my gift to everyone today. I have a technique I call five, five, five. 
Okay. You act as if you're the movie director of your own life and you zoom out and you think to yourself, will this matter in five minutes or not? Will I still be stressed out about that bad pitch, losing the sale, getting rejected, getting yelled at, whatever. How about five hours from now? How about five days from now? Probably not five days from now, surely, right? So instead of waiting five days from now to let this go, what if I let it go now? And people love this because it's easy to remember, it's easy to use. And I have people emailing me all the time going, I just five five something that normally would have upset me for days. Thank you so much for this technique. So that is the thing. And if there's something really traumatic that happens outside of work, like when my dad died a few years ago, I wish I'd had that because I could say, all right, well, if five days from now, yes, you're still going to be devastated and really grieving. You can do it again. Go, how about five weeks from now, five months from now, five years from now? Yeah. And if I could go back in time to my younger self, I'd say, listen, five years from now, you're still going to miss him. Mm -hmm. But I promise you, you won't be this sad. Yeah. That would have given me a whole nother perspective on it. So the five, five, five is, is my big tip for everyone on how to become more resilient and let go of things faster. I love that. I just, I love the, I love the simplicity of the, of the practice. And to your point, just, mm-hmm. I mean, you can, re- that's easy to remember. And it's just like, I, I often use gratitude practices for, for similar things like this. And it's just, it's amazing. Uh, maybe amazing is the wrong, wrong word, but it, I, there's a sense of we, we have, we just put ourselves through such mental torture so oh, yeah. many times for so many situations and moments where sure, you know, there's stuff going on obviously, but like a practice like 555 or tapping into a gratitude practice mm-hmm. to, to literally cut it, you know, right away. So it doesn't bleed in and, and, and hijack the rest of your day and, and often days, yes. right? Like this stuff is accessible. You don't have to go on a, a week long uh, silent retreat to, to access 555, right? And I love that you said cut it because that's the analogy. You're the movie director of your own life and you can yell cut at any moment when you're playing out a negative scenario in your head of, I can't believe that person said that to me or you're worried about the future. You just say cut. You get to change the location, the cast, your mindset, play a different movie in your head. Sure. Well, speaking of a new movie um, and so forth, before... Before we get into your your current day work, and there's some I, we talked about um, before we hit record, you know, a project that that's on my mind as well. I think that be very uh, beneficial to hear some of your your um, your storytelling, your pitch uh, strategies, and, and whatnot. But before we get there, I just wanted to kind of close the loop on the the magazine world because I think mm. you're there. That was about 15 or so years, right? I believe if I, yes, if I, I have that correct. Yes, I there for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then as many know, big transition, a lot of digital advertising happening, yes. and so forth. And you were caught in a restructure, essentially. Yep. And and this is you talk about this in your in your TED talk as well, which I highly I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. I highly recommend everyone watch. I think you're. 1.2 million views on that. So you won't be the only one watching it, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but I just want like, how, bring bring us back to those those days. Like, how are you feeling there? Because I mean, that's oh. a big moment. And, and many of us have gone through something like that or <laughs> will go through something like that in our lives. Well, the TEDx call, talk is be the lifeguard of your own life. Because unlike in a hurricane, they don't send a helicopter to rescue you. We have to rescue ourselves. 
And it's all about embracing disruption. Well, collectively, we've all experienced disruption with the pandemic in one shape or another. So that is the skill set, the muscle, if you will, of what does it feel like when something happens that may be unexpected or it's very much like the um, stages of grief. You know, like when my dad was dying, you know, you know, he's going to die. But when they get you get the call that he has died, it's still you go through all this shock and denial and all those same thing with losing a job or being yeah. laid off because of the circumstances. It's like you're on the Titanic and you see the iceberg coming with digital replacing. Print yeah, you were seeing it. Yeah. And the mortgage crisis causing ad sales to plummet. And yet when you get that call, we're laying off everyone in the outside office and 30% of the New York staff need to be out by the end of the day. It still feels like a kick to the gut. Mm-hmm. And I needed to get two people to help me clean up an office with plants and artwork and all kinds of stuff. And Mark, as I'm standing there closing the door, I thought, I've lost my job, but not my identity. Mm. And that one a realization helped me not feel so devastated. Yeah. And this concept that who we are is bigger than any one thing happening to us is the real key to freedom of getting off that self-esteem roller coaster. Yeah. Um, and so someone said to me at the time, you know, this reminds me of what happened to the silent movie stars. Some made it to talkies and some didn't. And so all of us have to decide if we're going to embrace new technology. In my case, it was learning how to sell digital ads, but there's always something new. There's the metaverse, there's blockchain, there's an endless amount of things to learn and keep up on. Or you say, I'm not going to learn that. And then your skills get smaller and smaller. Yeah. So that ability to say, I'm going to be the people that learn how to do new things. And even myself as a speaker, when you know the pandemic struck and all live events were canceled and it went to virtual, I had to reinvent myself and figure out, well, how do I keep 200 or more people entertained on a Zoom call and make it different and unique? Um, and you know, the irony was a lot of clients said, Hey, can you train our salespeople to be good on camera? Most of them have never had to sell on camera. They're really uncomfortable. Um, and I thought I'm barely one chapter ahead of them because everything was on back order (laughs) with cameras and lights and everything. (laughs) So, but then, you know, you just, I think when we realize that that disruption never really stops, that we just have to go, okay, it's another chance to reinvent, uh, learn something new instead of being devastated by it. It's it's like, oh, that's probably going to change and I'm going to have to figure out how to go with it. Yeah. Hello, friends. Given you're here, I'm making the assumption that you're motivated to be mentally fit. So with that in mind, I want to let you know about the Better Questions newsletter, which publishes once or twice a month, providing all of us the opportunity to slow down, think, and ask better questions. As you know, quality questions are my thing, and this is an opportunity to share the prompts I've studied and curated to help our minds be healthier, clearer, more intentional, and expand our mental capacity. You can sign up over at behindthehuman.com slash newsletter, which will also give you a preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. That's behindthehuman.com slash newsletter. Now back to the show. Well, and it's interesting too. I, I imagine this came up for you during the, like obviously as, as COVID um, presented itself and you had to reinvent yourself again. It's like, oh, I've been here before. I've seen 
I've seen this part of the movie, right? <laughs> and like it, it gives you a little bit of at least a little bit of a mental pause to not, you know, downward spiral into, well, oh my God, like I had all these, you know, skate gigs booked and so forth, which is yeah. probably also happened, but it at least allows you to pull up a bit, right? And and zoom out and, it and does. you know, keep there's that a hope. great quote that um spiritually we're not bound by precedent. In other words, when we really transcend our physical mindset, that unless something bad has happened to us before that we have an example of transcending, we don't have any frame of reference and therefore we can't. So yeah. it does help to have done it actually, but each situation is so unique and new. I think every death is still painful, like whether it's a loss of a job or a relationship or a parent dying. Um, it's, you still go through all the emotions and all the stages uh, but that, you know, that's when you really need your support group of friends and people to remind you of the truth of who you are. You're stronger than you think. Let me hold a mirror up to you, just how great you are, you know, when you forget. And that's really my definition mm. of what friends do for each other. Yeah. Love it. Well, let's do a little bit of a pivot. And I mean, maybe not. So, I mean, this is all all your realm of expertise and in your work, of course. But, I, you know, I'd love to to bring in your book, The Sales in the Tail, as well as, you know, just some of the process that you go through with your clients and and in speaking engagements and so forth about just helping people get clear on, you know, what makes essentially why you're the, the pitch whisper. And um, it sounds like you have something coming up for university that might be relevant to, I don't know where I'm at. And and the listeners have, this is the first time I talk about this because it's, it's a brand new concept and project, but Personally, I'm starting to work on a film series or limited series. I don't even know what the hell they call it. Is it, is it a nonfiction hosted series? Is it a Netflix? I, there, even that is is foreign to me. But anyway, I'll just say basically a mini uh, series of episodes related to mental fitness targeted to um, uh, a younger population that looks up to musicians and actors and creatives and visionaries and so forth. And I'd love to just leverage some of those people and their stories and their mental fitness practices so that can tell a different story. It's not just about the person and the, sorry, the, the band name or the awards and the headlines, but let's go behind, you know, pun intended, I guess, let's go behind the human and and really see what questions are being reflected on and which practices are being used so that myself included the the ones you know who are following a lot of these individuals um can have access to these practices and things like what we're talking about 555 like just mm-hmm. we just need to have the conversation so all to say i mean that's a bit of the context but i'm at the very beginning of trying to figure out what needs to be included in a pitch to eventually yes. pitch this to a network, let's just say, right? Yeah. Um, where would you start? Like, what questions would you be asking? Well, I think the key is to really hone in on who your target is. Yeah. And the better you know what, you know, when you're trying to be everything to everybody, it doesn't work. But if you have a specific niche, who is this going to help? And then... Once you've defined that, whether it's men, women, both men and women, age, whatever the situation is, then you need to really get into 
what keeps them up at night? Why would somebody watch this? What pain points are they suffering? And your expertise to understand those pain points in such a way that people think you have their solution. Mm. That is where you start. And when you figure, you know, most people try to boil the ocean. They do everything. And I remind everybody that Amazon just sold books first. Yeah. And then, you know, if they launched doing everything they do now, nobody would go, what? That's nuts. Um, So having that first, this is who I help. This is what I do. Um, I'm also going through a similar situation with Andrew Gray, who is an actor in the Power Rangers. We're starting something called the Superhero U, the letter U for university, but also U, and helping young people in their 20s figure out what their superhero power is to make them more confident, help them with their emotional intelligence, since they don't have a lot of frames of reference, um, you know, what to say in an interview, whether what to figure out how to do whether they're struggling with just who are, who am I, what, you know, what do I want to do with my life, all of those issues. Um, so once we had that defined, then the vehicle of having an online course and merchandise and all these coaching things that go with it comes secondary. So remember, yes. people first care about who is it you're helping, what problem are you solving for them, and are you delivering it in a way that hasn't been done before? In this case, it's going to be, you know, choose your own adventure and there'll be some animation and a whole tribe of things of people so people don't feel alone um, will be part of all that. And I think the other thing you want to answer is why you and why now? Mm. So in this case, Andrew's got this huge following on Instagram of constantly getting questions like this. So he knows who his audience is. And then why now is really crucial. Yeah. Because if you tried to launch, let's say Uber, before most people had a smartphone in urban areas, it would never work, right? Mm-hmm. If the economy hadn't been bad in 2008, Airbnb's concept of running out of room or your whole house would never have worked, but people were really open to new ways of making money. So who you help, what problem you solve, why you and why now, get those four things really answered and honed in, and then from there you can fill in the rest. You fill in the rest, yeah. Do you always... Because I know, you know, personal stories, like ones that like what you shared at the beginning of our conversation with the rep and the, uh, I'm assuming medical device of some sort, you know, that was, that was a very personal story or case study and whatnot. But in, in a situation like this, or even um, with the university students that you're speaking with, uh, to pitch a series or pitch a network or whatnot, like do you always need that personal story, or is there are other tactics to bring in the art mm-hmm. of the story? Let's just say. Well, I tell people there are three stories you need when you're pitching anything. The first is your own story of origin, which answers the why you, why you okay. uniquely qualified, why you're so passionate, what is in your background that makes you the person to make this come to life. Got you. Then the second story is your company story. Even if it's just one or two people in the, the company has a name, how'd you come up with the name? What are the values? What's the culture? Celebrating diversity, whatever the issues are. Um, and then you get into the case story instead of a case study. Of mm. Here's an example of someone who went through the course, got the training, and has gone from completely stressed out and anxious to confident and helping other people become confident. Whatever the, that journey is after working with you. Got you. Okay. Super helpful. Well, if this goes through, you we'll, we'll put you in the credits. 
I love it. How about but if we so say how does, when instead of if? Exactly. No, for you sure. Know, we're always talking to our subconscious. Absolutely. And if, you, if you have doubt, you're pro- you're projecting doubt out into the world about it. Yeah. No, you're so right. Thank you. I mean, thanks for the reminder. It's uh, that's a good reminder. Let's just leave it at that. Um, where does the the sale is in the tail fit in in all ah. of your work? Because this is you know this yeah. is the latest um, mm-hmm. the latest book. The I mean, I, I give you a lot of, of of credit in terms of the way it's written as well. That's, you know, it's hard having written just one book on myself on the nonfiction side and mm-hmm. written in a way that uh, is probably to be expected in nonfiction to to do the tale side and have it written from that perspective. I mean, that's, that's no joke, John. I mean, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Well, yeah, just for everyone listening, uh, tale is T-A-L-E as in fairy tale. Um, And it is a business fable set here in Austin where I live. So in a way, it's also a love letter to Austin uh, with the locations. And it is a story about storytelling and a sales rep in medical sales, um, struggling, wondering why the old ways of selling and pushing out stuff about the product isn't working anymore. And Mm -hmm. slowly having people teach him uh, stories that start to help his career and his personal life. So you're taking people on a journey and they're learning while they're being entertained in the story, which is a whole other way to learn versus just a factual way of here's why storytelling is important and here's how to tell it. I mean, there's a methodology and things like that at the back that people find really useful. Um, But the intent was let's make it entertaining, like a good story, because then people start going, oh, I thought these two characters might end up doing this instead of that. Well, that just tells me they're invested in the characters and that's what a good story does. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're, you know, having heard your story um, in terms of the the pitch gone bad, or at least your, your, your publisher, your boss, and it sounds mm-hmm. a bit familiar if, to the opening story of the book. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. A lot of these are stories from my experience. Yeah. Uh, fictionalized. The names have been changed to protect the sure. innocent and all that good stuff. Um, but yes, that is where, you know, writers are always taught, write what you know. Yeah. And um, it was interesting because the main character is in his early 30s. And um, I was speaking at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, and one of the top executives. Um, came up to me and he goes, I loved your book. It's, it's like you were writing about my son who's 30. And I went, oh, fantastic. So even someone twice as old yeah. as the lead character can see themselves in the story yeah. and uh, relate to it. So that's the joy of uh, it. And that's how sure. Andrew Gray found me. He read one of my books and said, this totally changed how I experience life and realize I'm in charge of what story I'm telling. And um, so that's, a fun way to connect with people. What was the writing process like for you with this mm. kind of a style? Well, luckily I got to work with um, Kristen Fitzgerald and she has her PhD in English. And not only is she an amazing editor, but she's also really great at structure. And we had a whole list of characters you know, okay. there's the core characters and then there's tertiary characters, right? One of the, the lead character has a sister, but then the sister also has a husband and a kid. And, you know, how important, there's a moment in the story where mm-hmm. that's important. But keeping all of that straight in your head as you're writing was a lot of work. But it also, um, 
again, makes it real. And, you know, everyone has a lot of characters in their life. And so you're, yeah. you're just, you're creating a whole world of like a bicycle spoke, right? Here's how these people connect and what's the lesson they learn there. Um, so it's um, a lot of, like, for example, um, one of my clients who's an orthopedic surgeon had hired me to help him with his story for a product he was launching. And um, he said, you know, I have a daughter that said, you know, daddy, don't just read me a story, tell me a story. And I panicked for a minute until I remembered you taught me how to tell a story for business, which I used that same structure for telling her a, a good night story. So I used that real life example for the lead character when he was talking to his niece. Oh, so interesting. That's where a lot of, so things come from different places to be put into yeah. that story. And what were your days like while you were, while you were writing? Like what was your, how did you structure your, your writing with everything else that you're doing? Well, when you're in the zone, I find those ideas come to you in the shower, you get up at four in the morning and you got to scribble something down. Um, that's really when you're energized and yeah. you're doing something creative. Um, and it was a constant, you know, structure with Kristen of where does this fit? Do we cut this? Do we keep it? What's the takeaways here? Where are we in the story? Does this make sense? Um, and of course, trying to figure out how to end the story. There is multiple ways it could have ended. Um, so I would say that's really important is to reverse engineer everything, whether it's a talk you're giving. Um, I had my TEDx coach do that with me. He said, what do you want the audience to feel? What do you want them to think? And what do you want them to do after your talk? And we figured out what the ending was going to be and then structured everything from there. And so th that's a great way if you're writing uh, a fable as well to go, what is the outcome? Where do I want this to end up? And then obviously you have to create challenges and obstacles. Otherwise the story doesn't have any teeth to it. Yeah. But were you, John, were you like, were you, other than when ideas were surfacing, obviously. And I mean, I think any, any writers listening, uh, I know I, I resonate with this. It's like you, it's so funny because it, it's like your mind surfaces the, the one word or you've been thinking about a sentence, right? Yeah. Like, That's it. I got to go run and write that down before it's gone. And it's literally, right. you know, a word out of, you know, what, maybe 40, 50,000 that are in a book, for example, yeah. it's crazy. But did you have like a, a, a consistent morning practice of some sort or evening or like what was your, your flow for you or what is your flow for your creative work, I guess? Well, my whole thing is uh, if it doesn't get scheduled, it doesn't get done, whether it's exercise or creativity. Sure. And making sure meditating, all of that gets scheduled. Okay. And um, sometimes... Talk about it all. Yeah. yeah. You go... I don't feel like writing. Nothing's coming to me right now. And that's okay. Let me just sit with it for another 10, 15 minutes and it doesn't come, it doesn't come versus, oh, now it's coming. Let me stop what I'm doing or wake up or whatever the issue is. So I think structure is important and having goals. You know, we want this to be 40,000 words. All right, how many do we have? Do you think we're going to get there? Um, so I was very aware of all of that this time around, whereas the first book I wrote, I wasn't. So sure. you do, it's a learning process like everything. Um, yeah. You start to go, all right, so we're halfway there. What else has to happen? What else could happen? Um, and, you know, using my own checklist. Is it clear? Is it concise? Is it compelling? Are we losing people here? You know, because everything is broken down into acts. 
And, you know, act two is where you can lose people in a play or a movie. Um, okay. So the stakes have to keep getting higher and higher. And there also has to be some unexpected things that happen um, that, you know, are twists that keep the audience going, oh, I didn't see that coming. Okay. So what does your routine look like? What's your, what's the daily, when do you normally get up? What's the <laughs> consistent flow? The, uh, this show is very much, you know, and, and just to be clear, yes. just so you know too, um, this isn't designed to be a prescription for people, but more so, right. oh, interesting, like that one aspect of John's regular routine would fit really well in m- yeah. the way my life is set up. So, you know, well, share as me, much detail as you can. Yeah. For me, I'm really aware of the circadian rhythm. Um, and so this concept of don't sleep in on Saturdays, it'll throw everything off. You really can't catch up on sleep and things like that. So I try to get to bed around 11 and try to get up. The alarm goes off around seven. And, um, by the way, the alarm is in the bathroom, not in my bedroom. Yeah. I like that. So I literally have to get up to turn it off. Yeah, And then I leave it in there after it's turned off because I am not checking stuff right away because I'm really big and this isn't terribly new, but it really works for me is some breathing, some gratitude for the previous day, setting my intentions for the coming day, really having some mantras about feeling safe, which have Mm. been relatively new in the last three years during the pandemic. I don't... I didn't realize how important it is to shut off the fight or flight response before any creative ideas can come. Because if we're anxious about the future or money or anything like that, that does not bode well for staying fit or creative or anything. So you can feel clear creativity at the same time. So um, literally going, I'm safe, I'm secure, I'm serene, I'm strong. And having all of that wash over me and then going into this mantra of everything's always working out for me. My life is unfolding perfectly no matter what. Yeah. That alone goes back to the Einstein question of the biggest decision you'll ever make is whether you think the world is a safe, friendly place or not. And from that one decision, you start looking for evidence one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so powerful. So you doing that in the mirror, John, are you writing, you journaling? What's I usually journal the, at at night of the five things I'm most grateful for. Yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes it's a little bit of a stretch and then sometimes it's like, Oh God, like 10 things today. Wow. Um, that all happened in one day. That's amazing. Um, and then it's just sometimes, uh, you know, the people that I'm grateful for. Yeah. That's a big one. Um, and sometimes it can be all the people that, you know, the pilot and the flight attendant that got me from point A to point B on time or whatever all that is. Um, that, well, there's the, there's the, in the moment part of the gratitude that is, is obviously, you know, you're, you're getting a great neurochemical cocktail of dopamine and serotonin and all the feel good emotions. But then like, I noticed this the other day, even with myself, just the way the light was coming through the window and landing on my desk and lighting up a book that was there, like mm. I caught that. And then I caught myself catching it, you know, <laughs> thinking, wow, like that looks so great. And just having, it's so trivial, but again, yeah. I, th- I feel like this, you know, any, any of these mental fitness practices, 
they're they're just they're training our minds to yeah. see that detail or live a life of of gratitude mm. and, and and whatnot. So it's 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 powerful stuff. It may not seem like a lot from the outside because it they're short, you know, and especially you know like the affirmations in the morning, but they they just do so much good for our minds. Well, my personal passion is photography as a hobby. Mm. So I, and my Same. photojournalism teacher said photography is painting with light. Yeah. Like, what a great definition since I don't know how to paint with painting. <laughs> Ink. Yeah. Uh, um, and so that also keeps me really present in the moment I'm going, Oh, what yeah. if I look at it from this angle or shoot down or shoot up or capture the way the light, as you said, was coming in through um, and lighting up an orange or whatever it is, um, or animals in the park, uh, or my own dog putting his little face on my leg that not only feels good, but I'm like, I want to take a picture of that and lock that memory in. Yeah. So, uh, that also really helps keep me present. Yeah. Well, and I love, I mean, I'm, I'm quite passionate about photography as well. And it was a bit of a, a side hustle at one point. And the greatest gift has just been, and I'm, I know you can relate to this, you can't not see photos now. You know, even if you're not walking around with a camera, it's just right. that is the greatest gift, right? Like, oh, there it is. There, the, that, that's the shot right there, right? So it's, yes. it's a wonderful thing. It's one of my favorite things to do for friends is take pictures at their birthday party or whatever the celebration mm -hmm. is. Or recently, um, I was taking an exercise group exercise class with uh, my trainer and um, in between sets, I was taking pictures of him with my phone and capturing him at different angles that he, and he goes, I've never seen myself while doing this. And I, you know, my expressions and I'm obviously lit up and thank you so much. So, it, you know, again, if we're all reflecting mirrors to each other and that's what a, a great picture can do is capture a moment that I saw that he hasn't seen. Um, what a great gift to someone. Absolutely. Well, I'm smiling, John. I mean, I, and I definitely want to end the conversation on, on some gratitude. And of course, uh, let us all know where we can follow along and uh, also experience more of your work. Just mm. leave that uh, with me well, right a now shout out to our mutual friend kathy twells at coca-cola who introduced us yes um, we, we love our mutual friends whether it's cal fussman or chip conley so many people so many um, that makes you feel like oh i'm so fortunate to be on these people's tribe and radar um if someone wants to get a free gift for me which is the free chapter of the sale is in the tale all they have to do is text the word pitch with a p P-I-T-C-H-266866. And um, you get the first chapter free sent to you. And if that's compelling enough, you might want to get the book either on Audible yeah. or in paperback. And if someone's interested in you know talking to me about storytelling for themselves or bringing me in as a sales keynote speaker, um, just go to johnlivesay.com. And if you can't remember any of that, just Google the pitch whisperer and all my content will show up. <laughs> Love it. Last question for you, sir. What makes you smile each day? My dog is the first thing that comes to mind. The simple Amazing. pleasures of waking up, seeing that sweet little face, watching him play fetch, the tag, the tail wagging. It's just constant joy. Love it. Well, thank you, John. Thank you for 
you know, being you, doing what you do, helping people with their internal stories of themselves and so forth, and then, you know, projecting that out for their brands and companies. I mean, because of that, we're all benefiting from a lot of really great products, services, and, and offerings that we may not have benefited if that story was not there. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Mark. Mark. 